Gracious and our blessed Lord, we would thank thee that thou art leading thy people, every one of them, to our city which has been prepared for them. And grant us this evening that we would not forget that as we gathered here yesterday to profess thy name, that in the very profession that we were making, we were professing that we were journeying on towards that better country. And we pray that thou, the Lord, would grant us an own presence here this evening, the effective presence of thy Spirit in convicting us of our sins and in enlightening us in the knowledge of the way of salvation in Christ, that thou wouldst help us to appreciate more the greatness, the freeness, the relevancy, and the effectiveness of that way of salvation. And as we ponder and reflect upon it, that thy Holy Spirit may indeed be made manifest in, the, in enabling us to concentrate our thoughts on the things of the Lord. For the divided heart is not commended by thee. It is to be avoided, and we pray that thou wouldst deliver, <coughs> deliver us from it, and especially in the act of worship. O Lord, we confess before thee that we are poor, we are needy. But yet again, we know that the very sacrament administered among us pointed indeed to a people, people who are needy, people who have to take a lowly place and confess before thee that the one who died for them died in their room instead. So no wonder on the one hand that they are poor, on the other hand they are rich. They have the riches of Christ, the riches provided in a covenant of grace. And we pray that thou wouldst bless them, thine own children, who profess thy name, as they have gathered this evening for thanksgiving, for praise in thee, and that the word of exhortation may be to your heart a blessed, O Lord. For thou knowest how uh, from the history of thy people of old and from the history of the New Testament Church, not only during the period of the canon, uh, but ever since, we know how thy Church drifted away uh, from thy word, how thy Church uh, deceived herself so often, thinking that thou thyself wast in the midst of them, and yet to a large extent thou, had, thou hadst withdrawn from them. And they, they themselves coming near unto thee with their lips, and their heart far away. But oh, we thank thee this evening that our standing in Christ does not depend even on our petitions, that uh, meeting our needs doesn't depend on our understanding of what our needs are, or of what uh, the particular uh, things and riches that we need to meet these needs, because we are told that the infirmity of our ignorance, of our lack of understanding, that this infirmity is met in thine own provision of grace, for the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And we thank thee that this is the privilege uh, which belongs to every one of thy children. It's a wonderful thought indeed. When uh, thy people feel that they are not eloquent, uh, that they cannot uh, put their thoughts in order, that they cannot express themselves before thee. They cannot even pour out their heart in the proper way. 
and they are indeed thankful that the third person of the Trinity, who is omnipotent and who is omniscient, that he is making intercession, and that intercession made in a most unusual manner when it comes to have a bearing upon uh, God himself. He makes intercessions with groanings which cannot be uttered. But the experience of their children, their self-consciousness in the world, does indeed know something of this very expression of the intercession of the Spirit as they groan before thee. We pray that thou wouldst bless all thy children, and that they would indeed walk before thee as lights in the world, as the salt of the earth, so that their conversation, their behavior in the world would be such that people would take note of them and that as far as their walk is concerned that they could not be faulted. We pray that all the Lord would bless the congregation here. We thank thee for the ministry uh, that is being carried on here from week to week. We pray that thou wouldst bless thy servant abundantly, and bless him in his health, bless him in his soul, bless him in his ministry, both his, his uh, pulpit ministry and his pastoral ministry, and uh, bless his family, his home. Uh, we pray that thou wouldst uphold them all, in the work of the Lord. And we pray that thou wouldst bless the office bearers as they uphold the hand of the hands of thy servant. Enrich uh, them, we pray thee, uh, with the gifts uh, which are so necessary uh, to carry on uh, in, the, in thy cause. We pray that they would be all enriched and that they would uh, find much joy in working for the Lord in this place. We pray that they would remember the members of the congregation and uh, we would commend them all to thee. And those who are here who will come, who are the regular hearers of the gospel, who have not yet professed thy name, uh, but who remember uh, themselves among those who uh, attend uh, the means of grace, Sabbath after Sabbath. We pray that thou wouldst bless uh, the ministry that is being carried on, not only in pulpit and here uh, by way of pastoral visitation, uh, but also uh, ministering in every way in which ministering is done. There are so many avenues, and so many here who uphold the hands of their servant as they help him from week to week, and as they help him in so many ways that all these ministries be blessed. And we pray that they would gracious remember uh, the preaching of the evangel to the ends of the earth, However much thy people, uh, however much they stand by uh, the group or branch of the church to which they themselves belong, and they belong for a reason, belong with conviction, uh, yet their sympathies uh, and their love uh, go forth uh, to the saints throughout the earth. And they consider thy church in the last analysis as one church, thy kingdom as one kingdom, thy glory afterwards as one glory. And so we pray that thou wouldst give us grace tonight to pray for the furtherance of thy kingdom, not only in this town, not only in the branch of the church to which we belong, not only in this country, uh, but throughout the world. And we pray, Lord, that thou wouldst give us a vision to realize 
that thou must pray until all thine enemies are made thy footstool. We will thank thee for the supremacy and the preeminence of Christ and the way sometimes feel so afraid, so anxious, as if the cause of Christ rested on our shoulders. O oh, help us to realize that thou hast placed, placed the cause of thy people on the shoulders of the Redeemer. We pray that thou wouldst enable us to realize the privilege it is uh, to share in the work of the kingdom. We pray thou, Lord, that thou wouldst remember as uh, the nations of the world, that they may become the nations of thy Son, the kingdoms of Christ, for every kingdom, every nation that shall not bow down before him, it shall be destroyed. We see various powers uh, rising up here and there, various sects, various beliefs, challenging the sin of God, challenging the one who has been appointed and set as king over Zion, despite the rebellion of men, despite the unbelief of men, and despite the activities of scoffers, thou wilt, no, thou wilt indeed fulfill thy promise. Be with us, we pray thee then, at this uh, thanksgiving service, and crown the service with thy blessing. Without thee, it is only desolation, but with thee, everything is in order, and take away our sins in Christ. Amen. Now turn for a little while to the chapter we read in the second epistle of Peter, the third chapter, and we may read again verses 10 and 11. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. See then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking far and hasting unto the coming of the day of God? Now as we have come to the Thanksgiving service of the Communion services, it is usual to have either a word of encouragement, a word of comfort, or a word of exhortation. And uh, yet, again, we cannot think of these in isolation as far as the gospel of Christ is concerned and as far as the people of God are concerned. We cannot think of them separately. We distinguish between them, but we must remember uh, that even in the exhortations given to the people of God, in God's own word, uh, there is much comfort. And even in the instructions that are given to them, there is much exhortation. And in the very comfort that they find in the Lord and the Savior, uh, there is many notes of warning found in it. That is, if we follow God's own word, we may give exhortations of our own which are not based necessarily on God's word at all and therein we find no comfort. And we may give comfort of our own, which, is not in a, which, it does, which is, does not align to, with God's own word, and in such a comfort there is no exhortation or warning. But yeah, I'm sure that the children of God all notice uh, the wonderful equilibrium, the wonderful uh, balance of emphasis uh, that is found in God's wonderful revelation as he has given it to his church on earth. Now, 
So the Apostle Peter is speaking here uh, to the people of God. He says, Beloved, I now write unto you, and he wants to stir their pure minds by way of remembrance, that they would remember what they had heard. See, we are so forgetful that this is what plagued the children of Israel under the Old Testament and the children of Judah. They were always forgetting. And not only that, they were always forgetting, but so many times when they were remembering, they were rem remembering things in their own perspective. They were remembering things that would uh, add to their own stature, instead of remembering them in the way in which the Lord would have them remember, be remembered. They were always, I say, forget. And that is true of us all. You know that in your own experience of God's grace, how many times you have come from a throne of grace, as it were, resolved to live your life so wholly, so consistently, and so much improved on what it was, what it has been in the past. Maybe because of a fresh understanding of God's grace and God's love and kindness to you. Or maybe on account of a very special deliverance that he effected on your behalf. But whatever the reason you have found, I'm sure, many times, uh, that uh, this resolve to keep this before your mind, uh, that it uh, wasn't possible for you uh, not to forget. So that this is part of the ministry uh, that the Lord provides for his church. And uh, that ministry is not uh, confined to the pulpit ministry. It's a ministry that can and is effected by all members of the Church of Christ in the world. You see, we think that something has, things have to be big in our estimation in order to be big in the sight of God. But that's not how God works at all. The things that, through which God works are things through which he is to be glorified. And surely there is nothing that shows forth the power and glory of God in the edification and building up of his church on earth more than the weak means. The small and little insignificant, you might say, means that he uses. When you speak a word to a friend, to a neighbor, when you speak a word to a fellow brother, uh, to a brother in Christ or to a sister in Christ, it doesn't matter how inadequate you think you are. God may bless these things not because of the eloquence of you, but of your language, not because of the choice of words, not because of the diplomacy of your approach, not because of your friendship with that person, but he blesses it because of his own kindness and his own grace and showing forth the power, the wonderful power of his grace working uh, to the fruition of, uh, of the work begun and uh, the completion of that work. Everything converging on the day of the Lord. Now, we may think that things are at a standstill, but they never are. There is so much confusion in the world, and we try to analyze, we try to diagnose. We even enter into the realm of prophecy, and then we give up. Uh, but that does not mean that God has given up, and it doesn't mean that God has failed. God is working steadily on his step, his step goes on, step after step, converging upon the purpose, the fulfillment of, the, of his redemptive purpose as, as regards his church. Just the same as you see when you see the colossal good works going on in many parts of the world, you wonder what's happening. You pass it day after day and everything becomes more confused. You are not, of course, 
on the inside, you don't know what's going on, you haven't seen the plans on paper, and you wonder what it's all about. Things seem to be at a standstill because they are working at certain other things that have to be corrected or have to be finished before the things that you, look, that you are looking on, before they are uh, carried on any further. And then one day you arrive on the scene and you see that the work is completed. The highway is finished, the traffic is running smoothly, and then it dawns on you why you were so puzzled and so baffled about the apparent standstill uh, that, uh, that you thought uh, was there. Now, be that as it may, it is true that the work of Christ is going on, the work of the triune God. God hasn't, the Father hasn't given the promises to his son in vain. Here, he's going to fulfill every one of them. And he's there on the right hand of God the Father, waiting until all his enemies are made his footstool. The children of God, they have, they have great reason for rejoicing amidst all their trouble and affliction. But you say they have great reason for weeping, they have great reason for repentance, they have great reason for confessions. They have all these, but amidst them all, and, and through them all, they have great reason for rejoicing. The rejoicing of which the word of God speaks is not always uh, the shallow, mindless uh, joy that the world calls rejoicing. It is not that at all. Rejoicing in Christ Jesus. Uh, there's a, a man and a woman there, a woman there, a boy or a girl, who is indeed concerned about their own sins, who are confessing their sins before God, who are concerned about the cause of Christ in the world, who are mourning over their own inconsistency, and who, are, who, who do not depend upon what they can do. And uh, despite their deep concern, uh, despite uh, their, their deep uh, repentance, uh, despite all that, or should I say, should I not say because of all that, uh, they are found rejoicing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you think that they are not, you just try and take that Saviour away from them, and you'll find how much they will cleave to him because it wasn't they who, uh, who contacted, as it were, him. It was him who began the good work, and they are in union with Christ. Let us never underestimate uh, the, the cohesive power of the union uh, that has been effected between the sinner and the Savior. There are many adhesives on the market, and they make great claims for them. When you buy some of them, you're disappointed because they, they do not keep the uh, things together. They come apart. When you put a lot of pressure, uh, uh, and when you load them uh, too much. But the cohesive power of the union of uh, a sinner with the Savior is something that the devil never invented an instrument sharp enough to go in between the sinner and the saint. So, child of God, whatever your heart is tonight, whatever your thoughts, whatever your anxiety, whatever your grief, do rejoice in your Savior. No power. The flesh is arrayed against you. The world is arrayed against you. The devil is arrayed against you, but these forces can never break you asunder from the Saviour, uh, from the Saviour of the lost, the Redeemer of God's elect. And so, this is whatever will happen. A lot of things are happening. A lot of things are happening in the world. Now it is good in the midst of the things that are happening in the world that you would keep your eye straight upon the star ahead of you. You all know the story of the man 
causing negative thoughts. But uh, without uh, relating that, once you take your eye from the Lord Jesus, just the same as Peter, uh, you know, Peter looked around, he saw the pillars, he started, he started going in, he started going in, and so it is, when you start looking at this and that, and uh, start considering this theory and that theory, and get involved in them, get enmeshed in them, get engrossed in them, get entangled in them, then you do not know uh, where you are, and it drains your spiritual energy. Actually, it drains your spiritual energy and weakens your witness. But you look to the source of your power, you look to him. Just because you can't figure out how things are, are going to work out, that doesn't mean to say that he doesn't know. Of course he knows. And just the same as the person who dives down into the ocean finds that the pillars of God are not necessarily found in the depths of the sea. So there is, there is calm always around the throne of the Savior. There is always calm around his throne. As you see the pillars here below, you see the storm, you see the darkness, you see the confusion, but there is no confusion with him. It is always daylight around his throne, though he surrounds himself in darkness, as we are told, showing us how he hides his face on account of the sins of his people in the world. Now, there were those who did not believe that the Lord was coming again. And we often think that because of the, of the confusion in theological circles concerning uh, the subject of eschatology, concerning the matter of the last days, that we uh, very often, uh, that we uh, deny ourselves and our people uh, the benefit of reminding them and us that the Lord Jesus is coming again. And yet it is all clearly taught in his word, even in the words of the institution, or the, the words instituted in the sacrament, this is my body, and this covers the New Testament in my blood. And we are shown forth his death till when? Till he come. Till he come. So there's an end to the sacrament. There's an end to it. It's only going to be shown forth until the Lord Jesus will come again. And despite all that all that scoffers will do, despite all that unbelievers will do, despite all that the power of hell will do, and but the day of the Lord, but the day of the Lord will come. Despite all that, he it will come, the certainty of the day of the Lord. And I believe that there is implied here uh, the certainty of the advancement of the kingdom of Christ, that that kingdom goes on, the kingdom that has no end at all, and it doesn't matter what is arrayed against it, that that kingdom goes on. The day of the Lord will come. Now we take it, as I think we would all agree, we take it that this refers to his second coming. He has come once, and he came once to attend to sin, that was his main mission in coming the first time. When he is coming again, he is not coming in that role at all. He has dealt with sin once. He doesn't need to supplement it anymore. He doesn't need to improve upon what he has done. He doesn't need to attend to it in any way. He has, a, he has done this efficiently. He doesn't need to supplement it anymore. He doesn't need to improve upon what he has done. He doesn't need to attend to it in any way. He has, a, he has done this efficiently. He has done this thoroughly. He effected that for which he came. When he purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of God. 
the right hand of his majesty on high when he purged our sins. Now, this I take to refer then to his second coming, that he is coming once more. The very Jesus that ascended is coming again. He has been glorified, though we take it that there are degrees in that glorification. In the 17th chapter of John, we remember that he prays unto the Father to glorify him, to glorify him. Now, if he had this glory with the Father, and he, he is in heaven constantly, it is his divine nature, surely he was referring to himself as the mediator, as the God-man, and the human nature there on earth, the human nature through which this prayer ascended, and from which this prayer arose, that human nature had never been in heaven, and that human nature can only be in one place at a time. His divine nature is everywhere. His human nature is only in one location, and that human nature was the, the nature, we should have said, Christ in his human nature had not as yet been glorified. We speak of his glorification in the cross, but I think it meant more than that. I think it meant the ascension, the reward, the ascension to the right hand of God the Father, and in that sense he has been glorified. But the epitome of his glorification surely will be seen when he shall be glorified in all his saints, in the day in which he shall appear on the clouds of heaven, in the day in which he shall appear in the glory of his Father with the holy angels, in the day when the dead will rise and meet him in the air, and those who are in the graves, those who are in the graves will rise first, and those, those who are in the graves will rise first, and those who are, who are left on earth, their mortality uh, will be uh, will be covered with immortality. They'll put on immortality, as uh, you remember in the first chapter of Second Corinthians. Some people make a very definite distinction there between corruption and incorruption, and mortali mortality and immortality. Now I don't know if that is correct. Applying the one to those in the graves and to put on incorruption, applying the other to those on earth who shall put on immortality. Now do you have a portion here? Do you have any do you have any stake here? Do you have any shares here? It's a terrible thing to be going around the sacraments, to be taking the sacrament, to be discussing spiritual things with our fellow men, to be even like we are trying to preach the gospel and never giving a thought to the fact that an end to these things, that our Lord is coming again, that he is coming, and, he is, and that, that he is going to bring his own uh, unto him, every one of them. But the day of the Lord will come, the certainty of that day, and it doesn't matter who says that it won't, and many will, and belief, I said, will not keep it back. He is long-suffering. He is long-suffering. They say, where is the, where is the sign of him, of, of his coming, of his promise? But let, remember, we must remember this, friends, that God is not slack concerning his promise. The time hasn't come yet for him to appear. When that time comes, he will appear. He'll come as a thief in the night. Now, obviously, it is not the quietness that is emphasized here because there will get a great noise. At least I don't think it is. That could be, but I, don't, I think it is rather uh, the unexpectedness. The unexpectedness, uh, despite uh, all the signs that will be before, and even uh, entertaining the view of uh, the post-millennium, uh, even then there will be a certain unexpectedness. No one knows exactly when the thief will come. 
the thief comes in the night, no one knows when. And this is one reason why we should be always watchful. But friends, there is a comforting thought here, that our safety does not depend on our powers of observation, or our powers of interpretation, or on our prophetic vision in pinpointing, as it were, the time of the Lord's coming. That's in his own, that's in the Father's hand. And we do not know. We, we definitely and absolutely do not know when he will come. There'll be a certain unexpectedness. He will come. Now those who are depending on their powers of observation will certainly have to be on the alert. The children of God must be too. But they are not, their salvation doesn't depend on this because actually who the one who is coming, they are looking forward to his coming, is their own Lord and Saviour. He bears, we believe, the marks of his death. The one who you are remembering here yesterday when uh, we were trying to, when we were administering the sacrament and you were trying to remember his dying love, that's the one who is coming again in all nature. Now, that is the unexpectedness. And also, there will be a terrific suddenness in this. I don't think when the Lord will come, that he will come slowly that it will come, as it were, by degrees. He'll appear, just as the lightning is seen from one part of heaven to another. And there'll be this suddenness. No one will tell you, come out and see, the Lord is coming. No one can say that. No one will call his neighbor and say, I see him in the clouds. It happens. It happens before it can be said. Our words are not fast enough to keep time with the coming of the Saviour. It'll be a sudden coming. And that suddenness, the very suddenness of his coming, means indeed great salvation for his people, but it means terrific confusion and eternal shame for those who cannot find refuge under the shadow. Is there anyone here tonight who hasn't betaken himself or herself to the place appointed by God where sinners are forgiven and where sinners are received, where sinners are blessed and transformed and made a safe in Christ? Because when a second coming will come, we will have Will, be ta will take effect when the sign of coming of the Lord it will be so sudden that your dearest friend the person you love most in the world if he is in Christ or if she is in Christ cannot tell you they'll have no time to tell you there'll be no time at all for anyone to tell us anything and I think that is brought out in the Gospels the two that are together one is taken the other is left. There'll be no time for discussion, no time for debate, no time for comparing notes and wondering if this is the, this is the view that you had. And you'll be so completely beyond anything that you had ever thought of that you'll be full of wonder. The day of the Lord has come. Now you can't, I say, the suddenness will uh, obviate any discussion and will prevent any discussion on what are you going to do because the Lord appears. The Lord is there. He's there in the midst of his people. And there'll be no star as there was guiding uh, the people of the men of old, guiding them uh, to the place of Bethlehem. There'll be no star guiding any of us, because every eye shall see him. Every eye shall see him. If you say, that's an impossibility, 
every eye of those who were saved from the beginning of time and to the end of time. How can it's a physically seen possibility for every eye to see the Lord and definitely it would be if things were in the present order. But have you ever thought of the drastic, radical, unheard of, at least unconceived of by human beings, uh, a change that will take place? See, when the Lord will appear, in this sudden appearance of the Lord, the eternal order is established instantly, the eternal order. And we are now in the eternal order when we speak of every eye shall see him. Every eye shall see him. No one need then. And if you are a child of God and you haven't spoken to a sinner ever about his need of Christ, well, don't leave it until that day. However zealous you'll be that day, you will have no time to speak to your neighbor, to speak to your family, to speak to your brothers or sisters in the flesh and telling them to seek refuge in Christ. There'll be no time given. No wonder we are reminded to redeem the time and make the best, as it were, of every minute of our time in the service of our Lord and Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, there will be suddenness and this radical nature of the change, the radical nature, the eternal order brought in. And we are told of that day that there will be a great noise as the heavens shall pass away whatever it means by that. You know, the words great noise, some people translate them, a terrific crash, a terrific crash. And but the, the word that is used there uh, for noise uh, conveys uh, the idea of a, a passing arrow, the whiz of a passing arrow. The, the sound of a passing arrow. Now, doesn't that also convey swiftness? When we speak of a great noise, we think of a noise like thunder that goes on, a noise like thunder that goes on for a while. Those of you who have, were bombed during the war, those of you who have been on, were on ships that were bombed, if you were down asleep at the time, you know what happened, or in houses ashore, and bombs struck the building, you know, that sound, you thought probably the end of the world was there. Well, I don't believe that that's how it will be at all, according to this. There's a swiftness in the crash. There's a swiftness in the noise that you can't even stand to listen to it. It happens. It's done. The swiftness of this terrific crash, of this terrific crash, of this noise that passes, of the arrow that passes, and uh, to apply the words of the psalm, be not afraid of the arrows that go by, as it were, in the night. Be not afraid, those of you who are in Christ. It must be a dreadful day for those who will not take refuge under his covering, his wings. It must be a dreadful day, but it must be a wonderful day for you who believe in the Saviour. Or are you, are you like many of us are, oftentimes forgetting that the Saviour is coming again. Well, if you are, and if I am, let us repent here and now. Let us seek God's forgiveness for the way in which we have overlooked the fact that he has told us that he is coming again and that we ought to work for, believe me, or rather believe God's word, the night is coming in which we no one can work. The night is coming in which no person can work. So work while it is day. Work 
finally this day. So you, but you say to me now, well, that's uh, that's not too difficult uh, to uh, believe nowadays uh, with the advancement of uh, nuclear power and explosions and all the other types of explosions that of which scientists are capable. I believe you say that it is not so remote as it was in days gone by. But friend, that is not, I say, the way of faith. That is not the way of faith. I do not believe for one moment that the God of heaven who created the heavens and the earth is going to leave in the hands of scientists or of mouth human beings is going to leave uh, this uh, this dissolving uh, uh, dissolving act no this will be an act of god an act of god it will not be uh, through just by men we say so often if a nuclear war would start that the whole earth would be like an incinerator. Maybe it will, but that is not what is meant here. It's an act of God. The heavens will melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Where will you be then? Where will you be then? You know how, how dreadful we haven't had any experience of it, but maybe many people here had of being somewhere there has, where there has been a definite earthquake. And ordinarily when a thing shakes or when you feel like falling, you take hold of a thing like this, something steady, something stable, a, a kind of a reference point or something that you can lean on. But in an earthquake, everything moves. So it doesn't matter what you take hold of, it goes. Well, that is only a small thing compared to that day. Where are you, I say, who are not in Christ? Where are you going to, uh, to, where are you going to lean on? What are you going to lean? What are you going to take hold of? And the child of God may say, what am I going to take hold of? You need not be afraid. You ask, as, as the women at the grave uh, were told, they were seeking Jesus of Nazareth. And they need not be afraid. And you need not be afraid. You take hold of Christ. Or rather, shall I put it, should I not put it this way, Christ has hold of you. And he sees everyone. Every one of his children are known to him. None of them. Just the same as the angel of death made no mistake when it went into Egypt that night and the blood was on the, on, on the lintel and in the doorpost. There was no mistake. Computers can go wrong. Statistics can go wrong. Men can go wrong. But the angel of the Lord does not go wrong. The distinctions were there, the blood on the one hand and the non-blood on the other. And so the angel that was a terror to one passed over the other, passed over the other. And so it is that he knows you, he knows his own, his mark, he has his mark. And you can say, as the psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd, I'll not want. When he comes, he saved my soul, he saved my body. And not only that, but in that day, that's the day that your body is to be revived or renewed, the body of the resurrection, to be like unto his own glorious body. Are you not looking into that day? Your body is deteriorating, going down into the grave. But you say, yes, but the, inner, the, the inward man 
is renewed day by day, day by day, but then your body will also be renewed. In soul and body you shall glorify the Lord forever. See then, he says, that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? And these, incidentally, in the Greek are plurals, conversations and godlinesses. Whatever reason uh, for that, maybe it refers to that it covers the whole of life, all our dealings with men, all our, the Christian should be, should be noted. It's a sad thing when people cannot uh, uh, trust a Christian. And who is to blame? Is it the world? I don't think so, it's us. It's our own inconsistency that we're failing so often and that we have been found wanting so often that people will not trust us. It's a very poor, a very poor witness. Well, he says, considering what is going to take place, considering that there is no place here which is not to be, disso not to be dissolved, consider that the order you're in is to be dissolved, should you not take note of the Savior who is to come and that you should live to him and say in all situations, Thou, thou seest me. The eye of the Lord is on his own. Remember how the Lord, the psalmist, how it is said in the psalms that he would direct you with his eye. He directed Peter with his eye and directed him out uh, outside uh, the crowd he was with. And he went out and wept bitterly. And just as a mother will with her eye uh, convey a message to her child, even when others are in the house, so the Lord conveys with his eye a message to his children, and he says to you and to me, Now be ye holy, for I am holy. Live like this in the world. When covetousness gets hold of your heart and mind, remind Remember, God is seen. And we sometimes get very anxious about our portion in life and forgetting that the Lord is God of providence. And if he is our portion, that we need not, that we need not fret. We need not fret. All holy, holy, holy way of life, that is a, li a, a way of life which is consistent to what God has shown to be his will. That's just it. And, but you say, well, if I'm in Christ, I have that anyway. Friends, let us not confuse the issue here. You are, in, if you are in Christ, then you are, as it were, called upon in a, in a specific way through the very things that we are told here to exercise, uh, to exercise yourself through the graces of grace of God, to attend to these things and to be blameless in the world. To be blameless in the world, we think of the we mourn over the lack of power in this Church of God. But what is the Church? But those who make up the Church, and what is why is why has why have I? such lack of power? Why have I such lack of power in my life? Is it not because of my inconsistency? Of course it is. A holy person, not a person who tries to be holy by uh, uh, emulating the Pharisees. You know, they pretended they wanted everyone to show they were fasting. But when ye fast, wash your faces, anoint your head with oil, and so that people will not know that you're fasting, but your Heavenly Father knows that you're doing it. See, there is a, there is a grave danger of following uh, the holiness of the flesh, putting on long faces and putting this and that, and it's very near to us, every one of us. I'm sure that you are just as conscious of it as I am. 
this kind of fleshy holiness. Oh, that's not holiness. Holiness is to be conformed to God's will in our soul, in our motives, in everything. Yes, and in our actions, in all that we do. The law of God is the rule of heart and of life. It's not one or the other. It is both the rule of heart and life. And this is godliness, godliness in all our deliberations. And now some of us are called upon to be to lead in prayer and to preach. And I know that those of you who lead in prayer often wonder, am I really thinking about the Lord? Do you know this? That we can be in the name of worshippers and not be worshipping at all. I can't be praying without praying at all. There were two men, but you say that's not prayer. Well, my sense it is. Two men went up to the temple to pray, and one prayed in a worshipping manner, the other prayed, but he certainly didn't worship God. But he is able, he is able to do this. He is able to save to the uttermost, and he is able to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Just imagine yourself with all your inconsistencies, with all your infirmities, with all your failures, with all your stumblings. Yes, with all your uh, stuttering as you try to pour out your heart before him, all your stammerings. He's going to present you faultless before the presence of his glory, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, terrific joy in heaven. But when they see you there, you've not one wrinkle, not one crease, not one spot, not one stain. No wonder you're seeing the praises of him who washed you, uh, who loved you and washed you from your sins in his own blood. So, in view of these things, you are looking for the day looking for and tasting unto the coming of the day of God. You now when a, when a Christian is backsliding, he, he wants to put this away. This doesn't mean to say that you're going around like the men uh, to whom the angels spoke, looking into the skies because the Lord had ascended. What are you doing? The men of Galilee spoke to the men of Galilee. What are you doing there looking up to the skies? What, uh, what did they have to do? Is that, they were going to, is that the way they were going to wait for his coming? Not at all. Which other way? They were going to attend to his will in the world. They were going to obey him. They were going to follow what he wanted them to do. This is the way in which we are to wait. Not looking up to the skies. He'll come. Let him find us. Find us. In, a, in his way when he comes. So then, as we come to the end of the communion season, shall we not remind ourselves of these things, on the one hand rejoicing in our wonderful Saviour, the one that was put to death, and over whom death has no power anymore, and at the same time remembering how we should give ourselves Abandon ourselves to Christ. Oh, there are so many things, uh, there are many, many things uh, that we ought to abandon. Abandon ourselves to Christ. Abandon his, abandon ourselves, I say to him. Be merged, as it were, in the love of Christ. Be merged in the love of Christ. And then we will not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, let us pray. Ever blessed one, we pray thy blessing on us here tonight. We are weak and dark and so short-sighted in our vision, but we pray that thy Holy Spirit may apply the word to us all and that uh, we may benefit from meditating and considering the precious word, the word never puts us wrong, 
So we control, we often perform interpretation sometimes on the, and we play the one that there, which blends us here today, every one of us, and we recommend you especially to us and have it Christ, to us who are still left in the, in the humanities, of what we can do see, who are still open to the storm, who are still without getting electric space, when you start with the